Okay, folks, we're back here, back on the fourth floor with um, newly elected elected representative Bart Lebon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Happy to be here with you. Have a, your office, it's misleading. You don't, when you walk in, you see the entrance, and then you can walk back through another kind of corridor, and now there's this big, huge office back here. I was told this was an add-on to the building a couple of years ago, so I'm happy to be in a nice, spacious corner. It's pretty nice, and you got a, not a great view, but it's not, I mean, it's better than the first floor. I can see outside. You can see the Terry Miller building there. Um, so I definitely want to talk about your one-vote victory in the last election. But first, I want to talk a little bit about your background in Fairbanks. You're a, you were a banker, right? Well, even before that, I came up to Fairbanks in 1972 on a basketball scholarship. And I was on a, a two-year commitment uh, with the goal of completing my education and then returning to Los Angeles. That's where I was from. Uh, so I tell people who uh, ask about my past, I said, well, I'm on a year 46 of a two-year plan. You seem like you could play basketball. You're quite tall. It helps to be 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're all approaching the governor there, huh? He's a little bit taller than I am. Uh, we figure he's 6'7". You're kind of standing tall for the, for the house, maybe. Trying to. <laughs> so you came, you came to UAF? Correct. And you didn't plan on staying initially? That was... Well, you know, you, you're. I grew up in uh, the L.A. area, and where, where at uh, Torrance, if you're familiar. My, my aunt lives in Thousand Oaks. So. Oh, that's a l- little bit of ways, but South Bay area, Redondo Beach, Torrance, Long Beach was the area that I grew up. Yeah, surfer, uh, body surfer. Uh, the the surfboarding crowd. Uh, that's that was too early in the morning. Uh, you know, we have to be out there at five in the morning, yep. and that's not that's <laughs> not going to happen for me. Me either. Yeah. So uh, played a lot of basketball in high school and junior college, and UAF uh, was recruiting at that time in Southern California. As a matter of fact, uh, the team I played on up here at, uh, at Fairbanks had uh, six uh, of the players were from Southern California. So what was it like going from warm, sunny L.A. where you're body surfing to 40 below Fairbanks? Well, fortunately, it wasn't overnight. I arrived at the end of August, and it was actually quite pleasant. It was in the low 70s, and my first thought was, well, this isn't going to be too bad. I could handle this. But, of course, as the days and weeks and months passed, it went from a pleasant 72 to 45 below by the time December rolled around, and that was a wake-up call. See, I moved to Alaska in 2004 from New Mexico in August, actually, same month. And I always tell people, if you're going to move to Alaska, move in December or January, because then you will go right into it, and you, you'll, enjoy, you'll appreciate and enjoy the summer a lot more. Whereas if you come in the summer, you're like, oh, this is awesome. And then you have to experience the very cold, harsh, dark winters. I get, you know, thinking back on it, the cold, yes, that was a, a shock, but I think the darkness was a bigger surprise to me. Um, how dark it got uh, as October, November, December peeled away. It just kept getting darker and darker. And mm-hmm. that was probably the, the bigger adjustment you're what, for me. You're 20, you're like 20? Or? 20 years old. Yeah, wow. I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So what, what, you play basketball? What, why'd you decide to stay? Um, I got my business degree in 75 and uh, was able to get a job at a local bank in Fairbanks and decided 
to give that a year or two and see uh, how that felt uh, to to not just be a student up in Fairbanks, but actually have a career-type position. And that was um, the year one and two of a 42-year plan. What'd I your, spent uh, uh, 42 years in banking. What your parents and family say? I'm staying here. Well, it, it that kind of happened slowly and quietly. All of a sudden, you know how time flies. Uh, all of a sudden, I've been up there 10 years. Both my daughters uh, had been born, and... Now you're, you're auguring in. Uh, you know, I hit 10 years in banking. Uh, my wife was working at the university. Pretty soon, you're more Alaskan than you are Californian. Mm-hmm. And it, it sometimes happens without you knowing it's happening. So what, what bank did you uh, work at? Uh, I started Alaska National Bank. Uh, worked there for four years. Then I went to National Bank of Alaska. Worked there for 21 years. And then I went to Mount McKinley Bank. All this has been in Fairbanks. I... NBA, that was the Rasmussen Bank, right? That's correct. Yeah, so it's so all you, been in Fairbanks. Did you leave when when they got sold, or? Yeah, when Wells Fargo purchased the bank, I looked at that as as maybe a, a moment to pause and look around and see uh, what was happening in the market with banking and a, a small community bank known as Mount McKinley Bank was uh, expanding its product offering into commercial lending. That's what I had specialized in with at uh, National Bank of Alaska. So I had an opportunity to start the commercial lending uh, business at Mount McKinley Bank. So you must have been, you started in 75. You must have been really, things were popping with the pipeline, right? Fairbanks. That was an exciting time. You were (laughs) learning out a lot of cash. (laughs) Well, I started my career in the operations area. So uh, supervising the teller line, customer service, new accounts. That area of the bank. There's a book called, mm. I've been meaning to read it, I think it, I believe it's called Johnny's Girl. Have you heard of this? Not familiar with it. I think it's, it. it's a book. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the right book, but essentially it's about Fairbanks and, and the pipeline days and all the people that came up there and all the kind of how crazy it got and the money. And it seemed like, man, if I could have go back in time, I think that'd be a fun place to go. Fairbanks. It was, it was an exciting period. And it didn't matter what you were doing, whether you were a banker or any other career field. I had some of my teammates uh, go work on the pipeline and the construction yeah. of the pipeline. And they had stories that uh, I was amazed at their stories working up at pipeline camps. But I missed that uh, adventure. I stayed in town. That's what I would have done too. I would have. I'm, I was in Australia for a year and I did some kind of here and there blue collar jobs. And I um Learned one thing that I am a white collar guy, <laughs> as as was I. I'm not I respect people a lot who do the hard work every day. That's something else. So, okay, so you retired, and you at some point decided I'm going to run for legislature at a time, especially when we're having a lot of financial problems. Why did you decide to run for office? Well, I'd been encouraged to run for office uh, well before I actually filed. I spent uh, two terms on the school board. I was school board president of Fairbanks for three years. So I got a little bit of an introduction in that way. Um, Post-school board days, um, I had folks encouraging me to consider a run for the House. Uh, Of course, at that time, I was deep into my banking career, and you can't juggle those two worlds. You're either in one or the other. Yeah. So when I retired from the bank in 2017— 
it uh, opened the door, if you will, for consideration for a run for state house. I had a group of folks in House District 1 and the Republican Party in the interior encourage me to consider it. And uh, after a little bit of thought, I said, why not? So that, that's when mm. um, Scott Kawasaki said he was going to run for the Senate, and that opened up that seat. Yeah, and um, that wasn't an official uh, decision yet by Scott. He had just filed, recorded with uh, APOC that he was running for office. But you can kind of wait and see which mm-hmm. office you want to seek. Yeah, as long, as, you, as, long that, as you don't specify House mm-hmm. or Senate, you can, yeah. you can just decide you which can one raise later. money and, and be in there. And, and my opponent had done the same. Uh, she had uh, uh, indicated her desire to run for statewide office. Catherine Dodge. Yes. All right, mm-hmm. so you had campaigned. You were working hard. Hitting doors, I assume, sending out mail, all the things media. that a campaign does. Yes, and mm-hmm. um, how, I mean, before the results came in, how'd you? Did you feel really? Did you feel good? Bad? Were you not sure? Well, walking the district, and one thing about House District One, you can walk it. It's about eight square miles. Um, you can visit neighborhoods easily. This is kind of what part of Fairbanks is one downtown, right oh, downtown. Oh, so it's right there, Fairbanks, right, right in the city river. center. <laughs> And um, so walking the uh, district gave me a feel for it. And you can uh, get a visual impression of the district by yard signage. Um, uh, Scott Kawasaki had uh, occupied uh, a House District 1 seat for, I believe, 12 years. So he had a good momentum in that district. And hard, it showed. Hard, hard worker. People always said that yeah, he it showed. worked hard. Um, Everywhere I saw a Scott Kawasaki sign, I saw a Catherine Dodd sign. So the um, collusion, <laughs> collusion, <laughs> political coordination, yeah. I think is probably the right term for it. But um, I was always trying to catch up in the battle of the yard signs. And I don't think I ever did catch up. I learned that uh, yard signs are good to have. I think if, if you have no yard signs, that's probably not a good thing. But I learned that um, I, when I ran, I had a ton of really distinguishable, unique, big four-by-eight signs. And, you know, the <laughs> signs don't matter as much as some people think. They, they matter, but... It, it's an image. It's an impression. You know, you, you're not going to entirely base your campaign on the yard signs, but it's a part of it. And as I'm going door-to-door, every chance I got, I asked for permission to plant a sign, but I could never catch up with Scott and Catherine. So I... I suspected at that point that this race was going to be very close. And I, I, my advantage as a candidate was uh, you spend 40-plus years as a banker in a community. You've met a lot of people. Uh, I made a lot of loans. Um, I was active in the Chamber of Commerce. Um, I was active um, in Rotary and other community service endeavors. So... Um, I was well known, but you still have to uh, entice the folks to get mm-hmm. out and vote and want to vote, it's, and that's a challenge. It's funny we came to Fairbanks, uh, my friend Kale and I, to do profile a couple of races, the Kawasaki Kelly race, and then we were going to do a house race. And we we actually looked at your race, and I didn't know you at all, and I didn't know Catherine Dodge. Uh, I knew Adam Wool, and we looked at the Adam Wool McKinley race, and and we kind of said, oh, Adam owns a bar, the Blue Loon. This McKinley guy owns a tattoo parlor. 
that's when we got to cover. You know, that's going to be the race. Is that more and, glorious than well, a just retired was a little, banker? <laughs> it was just a little more. I get it, Jeff. <laughs> it was okay. a little more kind of like tattoo. Bar, but looking back, I mean, we should have done your race <laughs> because, you know, I think Adam won by 10 points. And um, on election night, I remember we had the election central and you were you were up, right, by a handful of votes. I went up on election night by about 70 votes. And and um, we were looking. It was several. I mean, it was. Five thousand. I mean, it was quite a few votes. Fifty-three hundred were cast. So, so a very small margin, and that didn't include the absentees. And then the next day, the Republicans kind of organized and had the meeting in Anchorage. But um, not long after that, they came back with, I guess, the first round of absentees. Absentees were trickling in every day for two weeks. Uh, they were trickling in. Uh, some of the early early cast ballots were counted after election night. So those were trickling in. And basically, over the next week or so, my lead went from 70 down to 5. And uh, for about four or five days, the lead stood at, I believe it was five votes. And then we what were... Was that, what was that like, just thinking? Oh, it's... Wow. I'm you know, just... we're, we're checking every day with the absentee. And I thought at that point that... Um, that would be the the cushion, if you will, a five-vote lead, and then we're just waiting for the final uh, window to close on absentee. They have to be received by a certain deadline. And that's interesting because typically, in, at least in Anchorage, I don't know other parts of the state, but I think in general, absentees tend to favor Republicans. Um, but in this race, it kind of went the, it went the other way. Well, actually, if you if you look at the, the total absentee, I think I did – Okay, not great, but I did okay. The early voting is where I lost my lead. Yeah, and early voting early voting <clears throat> tends to benefit Democrats. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I lost tend my to, lead. Tend to um, benefit Republicans. So then, and then it comes out, and I remember getting the message because I, I do this stuff. I got a tip. Somebody said, I think the LeBron Dodge race is a tie. And I go, come on, bullshit. I go, no it way. it was. I go, no way. And then they come out with a press release. So you, you knew about it, I assume, before the press release, right? Uh, Catherine Dodge and myself were called down to the Division of Elections office on on 7th Avenue, downtown Fairbanks, right in the middle of House District 1, um, for a meeting with the Division of Elections. And it was at that meeting that we were both told at the same time that the final count was a tie. Did you When you got called, did you know she was coming as well? Yes, we we were both told that it's going to be a joint meeting between both camps. What were you thinking? Like, what, what's, what's going well, on? Well, you know, I thought it was to announce the conclusion. And at a five-point gap, I, I thought I would probably hold at least a five-vote gap or maybe lose one or two, but uh, not have it come out at, at, a, um, at a tie. So you're in this room and they say it's a tie. It's a tie. What, what, what goes through your mind right there? Well, it's hard to believe, number one, for both of us. 20, you know, what was really? it, 26, 7, 21 or something? or twenty? Yeah, it was 26. Obviously, it was an even number. Whatever it was, yeah, it was. It <laughs> 26, was like, 62, 26, think, yeah. 62. <clears throat> yeah. It's just incredible. So it's I mean, like the, like the, the odds of that are just so – I mean, I think it's Bryce Edgmond and Carl Moses had a tie back in 2006 – and they actually went to the coin flip. When this happened, when this was announced, I did a Facebook Live video, 
and and the statute says game of lot, I think, or mm-hmm. which means game of chance. So I was personally advocating for a uh, three rounds of dice rolling, where there's like a play by play commentary. I suggest I suggest that we shoot ten free throws. See, I think you have an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have a little. Adv- so I, I did this video, and all these people were were saying, you know, like ra- like race, like foot race to the bear to you know North Pole or I mean. North Slope, or people were saying, like, you know, like, wrestle match, all these ridiculous... Uh, shooting free throws was my suggestion. So so it's a tie, but then there's a rec- I mean, a, rec- I guess a recount, right? We were told that afternoon that the ballots were being shipped down to Juneau, and there would be a recount, automatic uh, state-sponsored recount, and that on November 30th, if we wanted to participate in and observe the recount, we needed to be down here in Juneau on that date. You came down for that? Yes. Was Catherine here as well? Yes. So we, we both uh, showed up for the recount. And after all the ballots had been counted once again, the vote total had changed a little. We each picked up uh, one vote during the recount in different ways. And once again, it was stuck at a tie. Uh, there was one ballot, it was voted absentee that had been initially rejected by the Division of Elections because the individual who cast the ballot had a felon felony record. And um, after reconsideration by Division of Elections, they checked the, um, the history and the background and determined that this individual had cleared conditions of parole and had had his voting rights restored and that the ballot would be counted. And that became the tiebreaker. And that was for you, right? Well, they pulled the ballot and opened it up. It was in a secrecy sleeve. And that ballot was laid out on the table here at the Division of Elections office in Juneau about 3.30 in the afternoon, again, after all the ballots had already been counted and were still tied. Oh, wow. And that ballot is what gave me the one-vote lead. So do you know the guy? Are you? Not really, no. <laughs> Take him for dinner or something? Uh, well, I can't, I can't do that because we signed confidentiality agreements to oh, okay. for me to see how people voted absentee a candidate mm-hmm. isn't supposed to be able to see that. So during this time, mm-hmm. did you know Catherine before that at all? Or Catherine did... and I had both uh, been in Fairbanks for many years. Uh, we were at UAF the same time. So, yes, we had crossed paths more than once over the years. But during this several mm-hmm. months, I guess, then I went to the Supreme Court, right? It got challenged. Yeah. Within a few days, Catherine had uh, challenged the outcome of the election. There were... But you, you probably would have challenged it, too, I assume, right? Yeah, it's... If it was the other I, way? I, yeah, I could say that that would be very likely. And the reason for that is we both had about a half a dozen question ballots that we were arguing um, should be counted. Uh, obviously, I had mine that favored me, and she had hers that favored her. And the Division of Elections had rejected... Qu- question ballots when somebody votes not well, at their polling station or... Um, a couple... A couple of the ballots had been filled out incorrectly, if you will. The uh, ovals hadn't been filled Mm -hmm. in, but a name had, say, been circled, or uh, an oval had been drawn next to a name instead of filling in the one to the left of the name. One ballot that we were both claiming had the 
the oval was filled in, and oh, then was an X, X yeah, I, was put through I it. I remember that was the one that everybody was kind of focusing on. And, and of course, I was claiming it uh, because the X was through my oval, and she was claiming it because the X was not through her novel, oval. So, uh, you know, the division decided not to go there and just rejected the ballot mm-hmm. outright. So yeah, it's it's ooh, that's that's tough. So the, it, during this whole process, you're you're seeing her at the recount. You're I'm sure you're, you're are you guys like saying this is crazy. I mean, are you guys talking to each other? Or? Yeah, um, it during the recount there were I'm trying to recall exactly how many recount stations there were set up four or five, and all the ballots were being fed into the into the counting machine. So. Um, we were both kind of floating in, in the room, and every once in a while we'd uh, make a, a quick brief comment to each other about uh, an amazing process this is. And the amazing part of it to me, and, and probably likely to her, is how the numbers were confirmed. Because uh, that's a lot of balance to count, and then uh, have an independent third bite of the mm-hmm. apple, if you will, to do another recount, confirm what had been counted in Fairbanks. So a couple of days ago, I was walking after that long joint session. I was walking home to the Driftwood where I stay, and you passed me, and you said, hey, "Can I give you a ride?" And I appreciated that. And I asked you told me where you were staying, and I didn't even think about this till you told me in the car. Um, you weren't even confirmed or declared the winner until ja- January fourth. So this is two weeks, ten days before the session started. Yes, I uh, came to. Juno on January 8th. So I had a four-day notice to get down. See, that's incredible because everybody else knew, almost everybody else knew, right? I mean, November's 8th, they kind of knew. Correct. So you're yeah. November, December. You're, you have to wait two more months to know if you're going to actually be coming to Juno. And and in the meantime, I had to uh, be thinking about staff. I had to be thinking about housing. I needed transportation. Um I had to be thinking about these things and making a commitment on um, as, as much as you could, not knowing what the Supreme Court was going to do. What was, what was your family? Were they kind of thinking, this is just, <laughs> this is wild? Well, you know, we're along for the ride. And um, when the su- Supreme Court, or su- I'm sorry, the Superior Court judge made an initial ruling on or around the 20th of December to say we're going to stick with the Division of Elections. Um, I took that as an indication that maybe I should start to plan a little bit harder about this move. And uh, I went ahead and purchased a car and shipped it down and packed it full of my belongings. That doesn't mean it could not still have been reversed by the Supreme Court, but at least it was an indication that the work of the Division of Elections was going to be uh, upheld. So then you you hear you're declared the winner by the court uh, or the— not declared, but I guess the count is verified. And then you hop on a plane and you come to... Yeah, and I had purchased a vehicle, shipped it down, loaded half my belongings, bought an airline ticket, uh, started to look for housing. Fortunately, I had a good friend down here in Juneau, and she helped me with that. But, yeah, you got to have a place to go and transportation, even if it's just four four days later. So I had lined everything up. Um, so, if, so if by some chance it had been reversed and I had not won, then I would have had a car down here that I would have had to come and fetch back and mm-hmm. uh, you know on my own nickel. So during all this mm-hmm. time of, of kind of uncertainty, the house 
the Republicans are mm-hmm. kind of having their issue, and the and then the um, at some point Gary Knopp kind of said he was going to not be part of the group, and it and you're still kind of un, un, under this. You haven't been declared victor you know, winner yet. Um, mm-hmm. When you got down here and you finally everybody got sworn in, what was it? I mean, that, was that like an additional pressure for you to not, now you've finally been declared the winner, but now you have to deal with this whole organizing of the legislature, which which took a month for, for the House to come come together. Was that just an additional, like, oh, no, now we have to do- deal with that election issue, now I have to deal with this organizational issue? And being one of 15 freshmen in the House, we were all learning as we go, how does this negotiation play out? Uh, the, the veterans, if you will, that have been down here in Juneau for years, the Bryce Edgemans and the uh, Mark Newman's and Steve Thompson's were trying to organize the House in some fashion. I'm not going to probably be the point of the spear or the tip of the spear in organizing the House as a freshman. So I was, do, uh, I was doing more watching and listening than doing. So they finally organized uh, right after the budget, governor's budget came out, and then you... I think it was right away or not long after decided to join the majority. Pretty soon, pretty quickly, um, Representative Thompson and Representative Wilson and I, all three being from Interior, from the Fairbanks area, um, made the made the decision to join what is now the majority on a uh, all-for-one, one-for-all basis. Mm-hmm. And we thought that would best serve Fairbanks. And you, uh, as a freshman, you're on the mm-hmm. Finance Committee, which is uh, kind of cool. Kind of a big, big committee. And actually, the finance committee has three freshmen on it. It does. You, Representative Carpenter. And Merrick. Merrick, yeah. And mm-hmm. those are all minority. Um, I'm sorry. No, you're majority. Two other ones are a minority. Mm-hmm. So what's it like been being on the fight? I mean, that's the big committee, right? That's, well, that's the budget. What I, and... That's what I wanted. Um, that was my goal. It, it um, happened probably uh, because I joined the majority. That was That was one of the rewards for... Uh, joining the, the House majority is that consideration. So what's it like been, I mean, lots of stuff with the budget. I mean, that just got through mm-hmm. last week, recently. And um, I mean, it was, must be just like a whole new experience it, dealing with all this stuff. It, it, I've, I've been around numbers my whole life, um, uh, dealing with banking and also my school board experience approving annual school board budget. So I wasn't lost, if you will, with with looking at numbers and and making decisions. I've I had a career of making financial decisions, so I think that's helped me adjust to the experience. What's been your thoughts about? You know, there's been a lot of kind of back and forth between some folks in the legislature and the governor on his proposed budget uh, with huge cuts, and then also shifts of property tax dollars, oil and gas property taxes, and fisheries landing taxes. Uh, and then the House has come out with a budget with, I guess, a couple hundred million in, in cuts. What's your kind of view of how this, what's the best budget you see, and, and how, how's that going to come come about? Well, I'm pleased with what the House passed as far as the budget. Um, now, what ends up happening when the Senate does its work and it goes to conference committee and what ends up passing both houses uh, both the Senate and the House, I, I can't speculate on. But I think we have a very realistic, balanced approach to the budgeting process. And I am hopeful that what ends up 
presented to the governor is uh, is reflective of what the House passed. So what's your view? Another big issue is a permanent fund. You know, some folks want a big $3,000 plus the $1,000 payback, and other folks are saying, well, I th- think we need to be more reasonable about that. What's what's kind of your view on the, the dividend? And I, I guess I'm concerned about locking in a PFD amount at $3,000. And in, in doing so, it requires a cut to K-12 of $300 million, a cut to the university of $140 million, um, uh, shutting down the marine highway system. Um, you know, that, that budget had too deep a cuts in critical areas uh, to satisfy my philosophy, if you will. And if it means that we have a PFD amount that's um, um, half or less, then I guess so be it. I just couldn't uh, see myself supporting a budget that uh, decimated K-12 education. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. the focus seems to be more on the House side cr- finance committee crime. Uh, when I was in Fairbanks, it's interesting because in Anchorage, we've had a lot of property crime, you know, last couple of years, car thefts and other burglaries. And, and it seems in Fairbanks, when I was up there talking to folks, it, it didn't strike me that Fairbanks had the same kind of crime issues that Anchorage has been experiencing. Is that kind of accurate? I, I would say so. Walking the district, knocking on doors, I did not hear uh, uh, Senate Bill 91 as being a big concern, both pro or con. Uh, it came up a few times, but not very often. Um, so for whatever good reason, Fairbanks did not uh, experience quite the uh, crime wave that uh, Anchorage was experiencing. Yeah, I know some Anchorage legislators said they'd go to door to door and that's, that's all, all they, they were heard. talking. Yeah, that's all they're talking about. Not so in Fairbanks. So what's been your kind of take? I mean, this is where day 90, I don't know, 100, what are we on? 99? So we're approaching the 120, 121 mark. Um, what's been your kind of takeaway being here in the legislature for the last several months? Well, it's, it's historic for a couple of reasons. How I got here has a little bit of historic to it. Um, people, I mean, how, many, how often do people ask you about that? Quite often. <laughs> now, now you can um, say, listen to the podcast. I, I have for the story. I have a lot of folks coming up to me. It still happens when I go back home, uh, saying, "Bart, uh, my vote is one that gave you the win." <laughs> and I say to him, "I said your vote maybe gave me a tie, but unless you're a former felon, you did not give me the win." <laughs> they all want something from you. <laughs> I mean, hey, buddy, I got you here. Let's... I know, I know what, where my final vote came from. It's funny. Every single person. Theoretically, could claim, you know, I almost didn't go vote, Bart. I mean, if I wouldn't have got, not voted. <laughs> and I've had people apologize for not voting. I was going to say, put what, me through this drama. <laughs> yeah. What about the What about the ones who stayed home or yeah. fell asleep or yeah. didn't go vote? Well, it sure sure drives home that message. Every vote counts. And it really does. So there's that. There's that. And then what's the other takeaway you were going to add about being here for three months, less three months? Well, uh, it took us thirty days to organize, and I. I could not have anticipated it would have been quite that that long of a uh, journey to get organized. So that was a surprise. So you're looking forward to uh, whenever they're done here? Hopefully it's mid-May going, going back to Fairbanks? Yeah, I'm hoping that we're not held over beyond the middle of May. Uh, the veterans down here tell me that could happen. But I'm I'm hopeful that we can do our work and wrap it up in day 120 and, and head on home. What's been a, was there any kind of moment that stuck out or when you said, wow, you know, I'm, this is, this is real. 
Was there any singular moment? Swearing in. The swearing in Mm, event was very memorable, and I enjoyed that evening. And and, uh, that probably drove home that that I'm no longer in Kansas. This is uh, uh, that was a defining moment. Well, Representative Lebanon, I appreciate the podcast, and I've been wanting to do this for a long time because I really wanted to hear that story, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing that. It's uh, it's such a a rare instance (laughs) for that to happen. So, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. I appreciate you having me in your office, and uh, folks, if you have any ideas for a podcast or want to do a podcast in the future, get a hold of me, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks a lot, Representative Lebanon. Thanks again, Jeff. Landline.